Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day, everyone, and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. You know, there's a book out there called Just One Thing by Dr. Michael Mosley that started off as a podcast, I think, through COVID, and it goes through things, or what he calls just one things, you can do to improve the quality of your health and, I guess, your life in general. And, of course, uh, ever since reading that, I've been doing things like 40 push-ups a day or trying to at least two minutes of press-ups or sit-ups and, of course, uh, staying on one leg while I do my teeth to maintain my balance indefinitely and of course eating an apple a day which of course became a bit problematic this week because I noticed my adult children came to stay and uh, all my favourite pink ladies had been taken away there was one or two left so in any case uh, I'm thinking about it I thought well that's a good uh a good way to look at um, investing. For many years, I've been talking about nine keys for successful investing, but I thought I should relabel it, uh, given what Michael Mosley's done, as nine key things for successful investing. So let's get into it. There is an ever-present worry list surrounding investment markets, usually involving some combination of concerns about economic activity, inflation, profits, interest rates, politics, natural calamities, wars, etc., and so on. It makes it hard. This worry list makes it hard for investors to stay focused and avoid making silly mistakes. Uncertainty, of course, is magnified by perennial predictions of a crash. Are we going to see a rerun of the 1987 crash or the GFC? And then periodically we hear talk of the next best thing that's going to make us rich. This, of course, is all very distracting. It would be nice if the investment world was neat and predictable, but it's well known for sucking investors in during good times and spitting them back out again during bad times, making investors none the better in terms of their wealth, in fact, often worse off. If anything, it's getting harder, reflecting a surge in the flow of information in the digital age and opinion on the back of that. This has been magnified by social media where everyone is vying for attention. And of course, we all know that bad news sells. So the best way to get headlines and attention in digital media and social media is via headlines of impending crisis. This all adds to investor uncertainty and erratic investment decisions. With this in mind, I've written regularly, as I mentioned, about nine keys to successful investing, but I've name that nine key things for investors to bear in mind in order to be successful. This week, we provide a reminder of that. The first one is to make the most of the power of compound interest. Making the most of compound interest, which refers to the way returns compound on past returns for an investor over long periods of time, is the most important thing an investor needs to do if they want to build wealth. It works best for growth assets. If you go back to 1900, in the case of Australian assets and invest $1 in either cash, bonds and equities and invest reinvest rather your interest or dividends received along the way. And of course, looking at it on a before tax and fees basis, because the outcome of that will vary through time, you see some amazing results. That $1 today would be worth around $253 if it had been invested in cash. In other words, bank deposits. But if alternatively it had been invested in government bonds, it would be worth around $879. But if it was allocated to shares, it would be worth over $752,000. It's worth noting that although the average return on shares 
which over the last 120 odd years has been 11.6% per annum, is just double that on bonds at 5.9% per annum. The magic of compounding higher returns on higher returns leads to a substantially higher balance over time. The same applies to other growth assets like property. In fact, if you go back over long periods, and for property, I've only got the data back to the 1920s, you see a similar long-term return average out of shares and residential property. So the best way to build wealth is to take advantage of the power of compound interest and have a decent exposure to growth assets. Of course, there is no free lunch and the price for higher returns is higher volatility, but the impact of compounding returns from growth assets over long periods is huge. The volatility set off by the pandemic and its aftermath of high inflation and interest rates increases does nothing to change this, any more than previous setbacks like World War I, the Great Depression, the 1973-74 bear market, which of course is the one which saw the Australian share market fall 59% over just a bit more than an 18-month period. Um, I often blame that on the cancellation of the Brady Bunch by the US TV network that produced it. I got so depressed, sold all my shares. And of course, we had the 87 crash and the GFC and so on. So you could argue recent events are just nothing more than an extension of what we've seen over many, many years, periodic setbacks in markets. The likely end of the secular decline in inflation and interest rates over the last few decades, which supercharged investment returns, means average returns over the next decade or so will be somewhat more constrained than we've become used to. But compounding is still likely to benefit growth assets. Shares, Australian shares this is, offering a dividend yield of 4% or 5% if you allow for franking credits, should still provide superior medium-term returns and hence grow wealth better than bonds where the 10-year bond yield is currently around 4.5%. Unfortunately, making the most of the magic of compounding returns can be one of the hardest things to do. So this brings me to the second key thing, and that is don't get thrown off by the cycle. It's hard to make the most of compounding returns because we are often blown off by the cycle. Investment markets, as we well know, go through cyclical swings. All eventually set up their own reversal, e.g. shares fall, which makes them cheap, and low interest rates eventually helps them rebound. But the outcome is extreme volatility in short-term returns. And you can see that if you compare rolling 12-month ended returns for Australian shares compared to rolling 20-year ended returns, and look back over the last century, you see a relatively steady rolling 20-year returns, but massive volatility ranging from periodic falls in excess of 30% to periodic gains in excess of 60% um, on a one-year rolling basis. The trouble is that cycles can throw investors off a well-thought-out investment strategy that aims to take advantage of the power of compounding longer-term returns. But cycles also create opportunities. Looked at in a long-term context, the 20% or so plunge in share markets seen into October of 2022 was just another cyclical swing, after which markets rebounded. The key, of course, in all of this, the thing to do is not to get thrown off when markets plunge. Which brings me to the third key thing to do, and that is try and invest for the long term. Looking back, it always looks obvious as to why things happened and dips in investment markets look like great buying opportunities. But looking forward, the future is shrouded in uncertainty and no one has a perfect crystal ball. As the well-known economist John Kenneth Galbraith observed, there are two kinds of forecasters, those who don't know and those those who know they don't know. I like to repeat that as an economist as much as possible um, to keep me humble. Usually the grander the forecast, the greater the need for scepticism as such calls invariably get the timing wrong or put simply are dead wrong. If getting markets right was easy, in other words, timing markets was easy, then the prognosticators would be mega rich and would have stopped prognosticating. Related to this, many get it wrong by letting blind faith, e.g., there's too much debt. Get in the way of good decisions. They may be right one day, but an investor can lose a lot 
in the process. The problem is that it's not getting easier as the world is getting noisier in terms of information and opinion flows. This has all been evident through the pandemic and its high inflation aftermath with all sorts of forecasts as to where markets would go, most of which provided little help in actually getting the big swings right. Given the difficulty in getting market moves right in the short term, for most it's best to get a long-term plan that suits your level of wealth, age, tolerance of volatility, and then sticking to it. In other words, focus on the rolling 20-year returns as far as possible rather than the short-term swings. Of course, you need to take advice as you get older to retirement or when you are in retirement as your time horizon might shrink. But the fourth point is you really need to diversify. In other words, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Having a well-diversified portfolio will provide a much smoother ride over time. For example, global and Australian shares provide similar returns over the very long term but go through long periods of relative out and underperformance. For example, Australian shares outperformed in the mining boom years in the 2000s, but global shares have outperformed since, and that longer-term relative cycle will continue rotating through time. Similarly, listed assets like shares and unlisted assets like, say, non-residential property often perform differently through the cycle. The key in all of this is to have a mix of investments, which brings me to the fifth key thing to do, and that is turn down the noise. After having worked out a strategy that's right for you, it's important to turn down the noise on the information flow and prognosticating babble and stay focused. The trouble is that in the digital world, it's driving an explosion in information and opinions about economies and investments. But much of this information and opinion is of poor quality. As bad news sells, there's always been pressure to put the negative news on the front page of newspapers. But there was hopefully some balance in the rest of the paper. In a digital world, each story can be tracked via clicks, so the pressure to run with sensationalised and often bad news headlines or titles is magnified. This has gone into hyperdrive since the pandemic, with a massively stepped up flow of economic information. This may be of use in providing timely information on how the economy is travelling, but it's also added immensely to the flow of information, and often it's contradictory and confusing. The heightened uncertainty is leading to shorter investment horizons, which can in turn add to the risk that you could be thrown off well-thought-out investment strategies. The key is to turn down the volume on all this noise. This all means keeping your investment strategy relatively simple. So don't waste too much time on individual shares or funds as it's your high-level asset allocation that will mainly drive the return and volatility you will get. Here are several tips to help turn down the noise. Firstly, put all the worries in context. There have been plenty of worries over the last century and let long-term investment returns have been fine. Secondly, recognise that it's normal for investment markets to swing up and down in the short term. Thirdly, focus on only a few reliable news services and turn off all notifications on your smartphone. Of course, that's easier said than done. And finally, maybe don't check your investments so regularly. On a day-to-day basis, for example, it's a coin toss as to whether the Australian share market or the US share market will rise or fall. But the longer you stretch it out, looking at it, say, monthly or yearly, the more likely you will get positive news. Which brings me to the sixth key thing to do, buy low and sell high. The cheaper you buy an asset, or the higher its yield, the higher its prospective return will likely be and vice versa, all other things being equal. So as far as possible, it makes sense to buy when markets are down and sell when they are up. Unfortunately, many do the opposite, i.e. selling after a collapse and buying after a big rally, which just has the effect of destroying wealth, even though it might feel good at the time, in the midst of a panic or euphoria, for example. Again, turn down the noise. The seventh key thing to do Beware of the crowd at extremes. It often feels safe to be in a crowd and at times the investment crowd can be right. However, at extremes, the crowd is invariably wrong. Whether it's at market highs, like in the late 1990s tech boom, or market lows, like for example in October last year. The problem with crowds is that eventually everyone who wants to buy in a boom or sell in a bust will do so. And then the only way is down or up after the crowd panics. As Warren Buffett has said, 
the key is to be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. The eighth key thing to do is to focus on investments with sustainable cash flow. If it looks dodgy, hard to understand, or has to be based on obscure valuation measures, then it's best to stay away. Most cryptocurrency investments are a classic example of this. An investment looks too good to be true. It probably is. By contrast, assets that generate sustainable cash flows, profits, rents, interest, and don't rely on excessive gearing or financial engineering are more likely to deliver. And finally, always seek advice. This is a key thing to do, in my opinion. We are all susceptible to psychological traps, like the tendency to overreact to current investment market conditions or to pay more attention to information and opinion that confirms our own views. And the increasing complexity of investing makes it anything but easy. However, a good approach is to seek advice for an investment information and or advisory service or a coach, such as a financial advisor, in much the same way you might use a specialist to look after your plumbing or medical needs. As with plumbers and doctors, it pays to shop around and to find a service or advisor you are comfortable with and can trust. Out of interest, I too have a financial advisor. So I hope those nine key things to successful investing have been of value. Until we meet again, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform. 